Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Saturday morning. It is Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. 1480 on the AM dial, 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial. Plus our friends out in Garden City on 1240 KIUL. Welcome aboard. Great to have you. Great Saturday morning, man. I am absolutely digging this weather. If it would just stay like this all year long, I would be happy. A little bit cooler, as in cooler, like 60 degrees, 70 degrees. Overcast, a little bit of sprinkling, leaves are changing. The set of fall is officially here, and I'm totally okay with it. Welcome into the program. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. If you want to jump on the show, we would love to hear from you today. We have a loaded program, a lot of things happening locally. You would think this would be the slow season of news, politics, current events, but oh no, we're hopping Pretty dramatically. We're hopping like a bunny rabbit during hunting season, trying to get the hell out of the way from those hunters (laughs) or something. Bottom of the hour, we have John Luth. He is with Americans for Prosperity here in the state of Kansas. We'll get a recap on the event they had just a couple days ago here in the Wichita area. Their Prosperity Express. Choo-choo. Hang on, baby, as they continue to roll through the state (laughs) trying to... Uh, bring awareness to economic progress here in the state of Kansas, uh, the budget conversations, tax conversations. It was a great event here in the Wichita area. I know they've been doing a lot of them around the state, so we'll get a recap from him on how that's going and some of the conversations that are being had going into the upcoming 2024 legislative session. It is an important one, and it sounds like Republican legislators are already starting to focus on uh, the budget, on taxes, and spending what they can do right out of the gate with the anticipation that Kansas Governor Laura Kelly will be vetoing many of these said bills, and they're already preparing to try and get their caucus in unison to actually override those vetoes. I know it's a wild concept. Actually, Republicans working together to get something done for prosperity, for tax cuts, for tax incentives, and for economic growth in the state while we're seeing an economic disaster at the federal level. So we'll get a recap from him uh, coming up in just a little bit. I'm Speaking of economic prosperity or lack thereof, I was driving down this morning, or I was driving in this morning into the studio, and I was looking at the gas prices. Now, I filled up uh, two days ago, I believe, and I guess they were relatively about the same, but good golly, man. The barrels of gas on the stock market are floating right around $90 a barrel, and I don't know that I'm okay with this. If you remember under the Trump administration, it was right around 40 to $50 a barrel, and gas prices were pretty decent. And while the lies come from the Biden administration on these ridiculous gas prices uh, for the barrels of oil, oh, we're doing good. No, yeah, the oil companies are great. Except for when it's apparently really hot, and then they blame the oil companies for not wanting to go out and drill, and therefore that's the lack of productivity. That's the lack of oil being produced. That's the lack of reserves that we have in the nation. Not that he drained the oil reserves. Not that we aren't producing enough to be self-dependent again or that we're trying to beg OPEC while they're cutting a lot of their production. That's not the issue. It's the fact that, well, uh, Donald Trump was evil and the energy companies are just trying to gouge prices by raising up their own 
prices. So uh, right now we're seeing, I was looking online across the state, or across at least the city right now, we are seeing uh, right around $3.40, $3.50 for gas in most places, which is absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. I have a question for you. Will you, and what will you do? Will you change any of your habits if gas prices go up another 20 cents, 30 cents, 50 cents? What about a dollar? That's a little bit ridiculous, right? We don't think that it would actually go that high, but you never know. According to the Topeka Capital Journal, they say, and this posted just a couple days ago, they say that going into the fall, we could anticipate gas prices in the state of Kansas alone to go up anywhere between 50 cents to a dollar from what they are currently right now. That would put that over $4 a gallon. Now, uh, a few months ago, back in, I want to say, May, April and May, and I think I told this story on the radio, but my grandfather had passed away, so I drove back to the state of Ohio, and I went to go visit some family. And going through the state of Illinois, it was normal for them when they were sitting at $3.70 up to $4 a gallon. That was normal for them. And for here in Kansas, where our average medium income is a little bit lower, where we're more rural communities, and we're trying to fill up our gas tanks, especially you guys in the farming community and agricultural community that are trying to fill up your, I don't know, tractors and combines and everything that you have out in the fields right now, and it's sitting $4, $5 a gallon, especially for the diesel, what the what in the world are we going to do to compensate for this? Holy cow, man. And if we expect it to go up 50 cents to a dollar more than what it is right now, that's over $4 a gallon as an average in the state, $4.20. I don't know how many people can sustain that. Now, here's the good news is that according to the studies that we've seen, it shows that Wichita, Kansas is ranked number one in the nation for remote working. So people can start to work from home a little bit more and just pretend like it's a COVID-19 2.0 pandemic. Say, sorry, I'm just going to sit at home and just do my job. Obviously, some can't do that, though. So I ask you, would you change your spending habits if you actually see gas prices go over that $4 a gallon? Because I'm totally not okay spending $4 a gallon. Uh, I'm not okay with that. Uh, That is unacceptable. And anybody who says the economy is on track, anybody that says the economy is doing well, anybody that says that we have recovered from the COVID-19 properly, or anybody that says that the Biden administration is doing a good job on energy and on the economy, and on inflation, because inflation's down to like 3 3.5% across the nation. Anybody that says that, I want to smack them because this is absolutely ridiculous. I will, I, I will say it right now. I will not spend $4 a gallon for gas. I just won't do it. I refuse. I will. <laughs> I don't know what I will do. I will either stay at home and work from home, or I will just build a cot here at the radio studios, and I will stay here all day. But I am not driving and filling up my tank at $4 a gallon. I think that is just absurd, and I think that's when the revolts need to happen. To hell with that. I'm just going to go to some of the uh, uh, areas around here where we just do our own drilling. I'll just buy it directly from them. We'll just just inject it directly in. You know, We'll just make our own little processor, and we'll just convert it from the oil to the actual gas and do whatever they got to do, and then we'll just put it in the gas tank because I'm not spending $4 a gallon. Just not doing it. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. There's a lot going on, obviously, outside of just me complaining about gas prices because it's a little ridiculous. Then, uh, by the way, I, I, can I get on my soapbox for just a moment again real quickly? Outside of the vehicle, then you have to put it in the lawnmower, which, thank God, we're going into fall season because my neighbors really hate me with how much I don't mow my lawn. I take that back. I mow about once a week, so don't try and judge me. I mow about once a week. But still, then you got to put the gas in that thing. And then all the other goodies or toys that you may or may not have, RVs and four-wheelers and 
dirt bikes, and I miss all that. I got to get some of that again. The gas prices are just ridiculous, and I'm not okay with it. And then they say, oh, the economy's doing great. Just to be clear, while they try to say that the oil companies are the ones raping and pillaging the resources and then trying to gouge us by making these massive profits, I want to remind you, and we've talked to Warren, uh, Warren Martin about this from Kansas Strong, that's not the case at all in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, right now, the federal government has their federal tax. The state of Kansas has their statewide tax on gas, and that's helping increase that a little bit. There are some states that are suspending that temporarily with how bad the prices are to bring that down just a little bit to try and help relieve that. I think maybe that's a conversation that legislators can have when we come back. I mean, we are sitting on $4 billion of a surplus in the in the state, uh, thanks to Governor Kelly, who doesn't want to cut taxes, who vetoed the tax cut in the last legislative session. If she's okay with cutting sales tax on food, maybe we should do a temporary suspension of gas taxes in the state, and that could save us, oh, $0.25. Cents? I mean, that would help. That's not really where we want to be. We still want to be about a dollar lower, but that would help a little bit, right? Ma'am. We'll talk some more about the economy in just a little bit. I do want to focus on, however, and we've mentioned this throughout the numerous different programs that I do, but we've talked about the anxiety and depression rates of children. And it is concerning the more and more we hear about some of the violent acts even happening here in the city of Wichita. Wichita North, unfortunately, high school, has been one where we see numerous cases all the time of uh, kids walking in with either a firearm or a knife or fights going on, it's pretty troubling. And I asked a question in the last program last week of why we see this violent outburst of individuals, what leads them to take that type of uh, response to a situation because we're so emotionally high-strung that we have to lash out like that, but even for children especially, why we're getting to that point. Now we have some of the schools around here doing the, not metal detectors, but they're weird detectors that you walk through and they can see and scan like everything on you. So there's probably no harm in any way, shape, or form about, you know, x-ray scans coming through your body on a daily basis as a child. But, you know, I digress. Uh, we have those that are going through some of the schools, including Wichita North right now, to make sure that no one's bringing in something that could potentially harm students in the building. Well, now we're seeing the threats from social media. As the story that just posted yesterday from Cake News that social media posts are now threatening violence at many of the schools around the area. And so far, nothing's happened, luckily. But the threats are still real. And in a day and age that we have today where we don't know what could happen with a shooting or a stabbing or a fight, we just had a fight break out at one of the schools that put a teacher in a hospital, if we remember that story just a week or so ago, right here in the Wichita area. Why are children wanting to make such threatening messages on social media? Why do we think that that's the need for us to lash out like this? And even if it's just releasing some type of anxiety to get it out, but we're doing it on social media now, why are we making these threats? And we do have to unfortunately take every one of these threats seriously. Now, as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Wichita School District does not have a school resource officer at every school. They may. I know that's a conversation that we've had before. And I know that's something that the Wichita Police Department has discussed but wasn't necessarily in favor of, largely in part because we're about 100 to 150 officers short within the force, so they don't have the resources to go and put a resource officer at every single school. 
But I think that's something that we need to have a serious conversation about and probably implement here relatively soon, not only to try and keep the peace, but also for the younger children, especially for them to get familiarized and comfortable with a law enforcement officer around them uh, for the majority of the day to where they're not fearful of them or they're not uh, shy away, shying away from them or they're not intimidated by them, but they feel comfortable with them and they begin to know them and get to know them on a personal level. I think that's extremely important. I had one at my school's. My entire childhood and even the year where I had my school shooting my uh, senior year of high school, our law enforcement uh, officer that was at the building, although he couldn't do much, he was outside of the door negotiating with the individual within minutes of him actually walking in and firing off his first shot. It's important and we have to have that. But now we're seeing more threatening social media posts. According to Cake News, social media posts have been threatening certain schools. However, they haven't acted upon them as of yet, which is really good. But according to Cake News, they received dozens of messages regarding social media posts that appear to threaten violence at multiple different schools with Safety and Environmental Service Director for USD 259, Terry Moses, saying that the posts come outside of the state initially with some of the false calls, not even some of the students. I don't know if you remember or not, what was it, a few months ago, five, six months ago? when we had the calls about potential active shooter situations at some of the schools and the lockdowns that happened. And they were the trolling calls or the swatting calls or whatever you want to call them that didn't actually happen, but the threats that were being made, maybe this lumps into that conversation on how we prevent some of that. There have been some threatening messages from students, but then also from just random accounts uh, making threats about what they're going to do to the school as well. Uh, We also work with the quote-unquote Speak Up program, the anonymous tip program, receiving numerous tips that basically summarize the same social media posts. We provided all information to the Wichita Police Department as they investigate, and they continue to investigate those posts. The Wichita Police Department says that they are seeing an increase in presence at some of the school grounds as the investigations take place and only find reports that the threats from the original posts are not credible. Why, oh, why do we keep ourselves in such a state of high anxiety? Drives me nuts. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. How do we keep our children safe at school from either legitimate threats or even fake threats just to try and increase that anxiety for no apparent reason? And here's, here's the problem with this. I have to call shenanigans just a little bit. Because if we can track down and if we have this metadata being collected all the time from the federal government, you would think it would be very easy to trace a post that was made on social media and trace exactly where that source came from and go and arrest that individual. They know exactly where you're at all the time with your social media posts. They can track you with the GPS on your phone at any time based on some of the apps that you have on your phone. But yet, we can't trace these swatting calls, we can't trace these social media posts, and we just live in this constant state of anxiety. I, my, not to call me Mr. Conspiracy Theory here, but that makes me a little concerned uh, and it may, it raises a few questions on why we're allowing this to continue to happen. So thank God for our law enforcement. God bless them for trying to keep our kids safe. But how do we decrease the stress level for the children themselves to where they don't act out like we see in many of our schools? And then how do we keep them safe from some of the fake threats that are going on as well? I want to hear from you from all this. we got a lot to talk about. Hour number two going to be a really cool conversation we have an author on that did a deep dive on the man himself the pride of kansas former president dwight d eisenhower as he wrote his book we'll do some of that in our number two as well plus a lot of your phone calls some of the topical issues of the day recapping the week right here in the state of kansas it's kansas talk right here on wichita's big talker kqam stay here
25 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here. Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. There's a lot of events going on in the community as well. We are going to run down through some of those here in just a minute because I will be involved in some. Hopefully you can come see me out there for a little bit before our syndicated program that I have later on this evening that you can enjoy. We also have some college football games over on our sister station, KGSO. We also have... The State Fair, the last weekend of the Kansas State Fair. As you want to go up there, you can see our booths for KQAM and KGSO up there and La Raza and Hank FM. And I don't know if we have any left or not, but we had some tickets for the Monster Truck Rally that is going on tomorrow at the Kansas State Fair. And we may have a couple of tickets left up there if you want to head up to the Kansas State Fair and see our booth as well. We'll do some more of that in just a bit. But let's go to the phones here. The question is, how do we keep our kids safe? And how do we stop these ridiculous threats that are coming in? just to keep us in that high-level state of anxiety, concerned about our children going to school. And is this going to lead us to isolate ourselves and going to more homeschooling or to the micro-schooling, which is apparently a very big thing here in Kansas uh, as we figure out what to do with our um, ridiculous education system, not to attack teachers. In Kansas, overall, we're still doing relatively well, but just in general from the Federal Department of Education, which, by the way, former President Donald Trump says that he wants to abolish if he gets back into the office again, which, hey, I'm totally okay with something like that. Let's go to the phones here, shall we? Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? This is Frederick. Frederick, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, by the way, I have to comment on one thing. Okay. I heard you on, um, uh, on, your, uh, on your American shooter ups. At Armed American Radio, yeah. Oh, yes. I'm so damn old, I forget stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, you're talking about flying saucers and little green men. Mm, that's right. Yes. So we, uh, yes, I was on Mark's show with Armed American Radio a couple days ago after the release of apparently the supposed ETs that the country of Mexico released to their government. And uh, yeah, that was a fascinating story. Yes, it was. Um, you know, oh, guess what? I went through that. 30 seconds ago, mm-hmm. okay, talking to you is what happens sometimes when with old people. Now, um, now our president, he's older than I am, and this is what happens to him sometimes. Now, I can function beautifully, but sometimes I just cannot think of what I am supposed to say. So a lot of times what I do before I even call your program, which I didn't today, sure. I would write down on a three by five index card uh, exactly what I was going to say and some key words. Mm. So, you know, yeah, we need a new president. But anyway, you're um, getting back to school violence. What I'd do, first of all, I'd get rid of the damn mayor, okay? And I'd get rid of some school board members and I'd put a mayor in there that was for law and order and respected police. And then I'd get some school board members in there that really respected the police. And then I'd go, I'd spend some money. Now we have money. I'd spend some money and I'd flood the schools with police officers. And I would have them um, try to be friendly as possible to the students. Sure. And if somebody started acting up, started fights, et cetera, like that, uh, we need to uh, just kick them out. Yeah. We need, to, we need to come down real, really hard. But the deal of it is, it all starts with the parents. Now, now, if you have a parent that's preaching the police are bad, or preaching this, or preaching that, 
Yeah. It's going to it's going to filter to the well. It's going to make it difficult. Kids. But that's that now, again, like you said, that reinforces the idea for a student resource officer because even if they are being taught that it's it at home, if they go to school and they see the officer actually being friendly with them and and socializing with them and being involved with them. And that changes that perspective and weaken just how, you know, the schools are trying to brainwash a lot of schools across the nation, trying to brainwash kids away from the values of their parents, which is a bad thing. We can do it in a positive manner by showing them by example, as opposed to just what they're hearing from the parents. I tell you what, Frederick, hang on the line here. Uh, Stick around. We need to take a break here. We'll get to you and finish up your conversation when we come back in just a moment. Plus, we'll have John Luth from Americans for Prosperity. We'll get a recap of their ongoing prosperity tour across the state of Kansas. As we go into legislative session 2024, lots more coming up here. It's Candace Talk on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. There can be only one. And he's right here. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. There can be only one. Darn right. Welcome back into the program. It is Kansas Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Our friends out in Garden City, KIUL as well. What's up? Great to have you with us on a Saturday morning trying to get you up and moving along. So there are some events going on today that we'll talk about. Some events that happened throughout this week. Kansas State Fair is about wrapping up, but today, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, is it's not necessarily a holiday that we all celebrate, although we should be aware of it, and I think partake, because why the hell not? There's an opportunity for us to do so. But today is officially Mexican Independence Day, which means our sister station right across the aisle here, uh, La Raza 102.5, is hosting their Raza Fest, and there's uh, like three different festivals going on in town, but Raza Fest is where you're going to want to go. It's going to be downtown, uh, right in the business district there, in that big Cedric County parking lot near that big strip area. It's going to be awesome. Starts at noon today. And I I will be down there for a little bit. Right after this program, I will be down there. And I have a very, very important job that I will be assisting with. (laughs) I am excited about it. I will be, anybody know what a torta is? Yeah, like the Mexican like taco sandwich thing that's like a sub that's amazing. Yeah, I will be a judge on judging the torta contest at the event today. Here's the thing. There are 21 food vendors that will be there participating in this said torta challenge that I get to partake and try. So I have a very challenging task today. And I wore my stretchy pants to make sure that it works <laughs> properly. Uh, all right, we got our guest on the line. But before we do that, let's get back to our guest here uh, with our listener, with Frederick. And uh, you were talking about ways that we can change some of this and make our kids safer. You're right with the mayor. We need to get our mayor out. We have a major mayor's race coming up, uh, mayoral race for the city of Wichita. And we have a great candidate with Lily Wu, who I really hope can walk all over Brandon Whipple, who honestly, from what I've heard, internal tweet tweets, he didn't even expect to get into the general election. He thought it was done and over with the primary, and he squeaked by with just a couple hundred votes above Brian Fry. Uh, and now he's got to go into this campaign season where I don't think that he's really into it mentally because he doesn't know how to campaign and his record isn't really the best. Here's the good news, Frederick. We will be. This is not confirmed yet. We're still working on some details, but it sounds like that we may be doing a mayor's debate 
and uh, KQAM will be partnering with that, and I may be moderating that debate uh, sometime in October. More information to come if we get some more details. I'm not going to give a whole lot out yet, but I did talk to a couple individuals uh, earlier this week that are trying to put it together. So we may be able to moderate and host a debate right here on the KQAM Airwaves to hear from the two candidates. Well, I, I think that's going to be wonderful. Now, uh, Lily Wu, okay, I, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, and I hope she'll, if, when she gets elected, hope she'll do what she said she was going to do. Now, getting back to your schools, Andy, do you feel, do you realize how far the morality of the people, I mean, the teachers in, at the school and administrators, listen, if a little boy wants to be a little girl mm. and tells his teacher that he wants to be a little girl and he wants to be called Susie instead of Sam, yeah. that the teacher has to call him Susie and that the teacher is not allowed to inform the parent of the new sex change or the new name for his or her child. Yeah, and we wonder why there's such a high anxiety rate for children. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know what? High anxiety. I held these kids today that they don't even know what high anxiety is. Now, when I was in the sixth grade, uh, this was back during the Cold War or even before the Cold War, we used to have air raid drills where we'd go out in the hallway and we'd put our... uh, uh, we put our face on our arms and a hand by back of our neck and wait for the bombs to come. Yeah. And so the the kids today, hell, they don't even know what stress is. Well, the the weird but part is anyway. Yeah, the weird part is Frederick is that I know fourth graders are on anxiety pills. I I don't know why. I don't know how they get to that point. And I think maybe it's just because. Uh, you know, they're around anxiety a lot. And, and obviously, I'm not saying they don't need it, but I'm saying it's just weird that we have we have to put anxiety pills in the hands of children because they freak out. So it's it's a very strange world out there. And we have to figure out a way to just calm everybody down, just relax a little bit and just enjoy life a little bit more, which is apparently a very difficult thing to do. So, Frederick, I love it. I appreciate it, my friend. I want to get to our guest here uh, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. But great points. You're absolutely make some great points and I love it. Let's get to it as they are great partners with me for my Voice Reason program, both during the weekend, our nationally syndicated show on the weekend as well. And they're such an amazing organization here in the state of Kansas. Earlier this week on Thursday night, they ended up holding a, a meeting with uh, Ty Masterson, Senate President here in Wichita with their ongoing uh, prosperity tour across the state of Kansas, talking about the budget and taxes and what's going on in the state as we gear up for the 2024 uh, uh, legislative session with a lot of our Republican legislators trying to plan or at least figure out how to get things back on track here after missing it by one vote. One vote! We ended up missing this tax bill in the last session, which I know hurt really, really bad. So we'll talk more about that and so many other issues right now. He's with Americans for Prosperity for the state of Kansas. Mr. John Luth on the line with us here. John, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Hey, Andy. Real glad to be on. Thanks so much for uh, yeah giving us the time. And, and you are you are so kind uh, in your introduction there. No, we're, we are so fortunate to have an opportunity to do the work we're doing here in Kansas. And truthfully, be out there amongst Kansans, with Kansans, listening to Kansans, yeah. and getting their voice to, like you said, the, the top legislative leaders out there, um, and, and making sure we're moving forward. Because Governor Kelly's stash of cash is is what's hurting Kansans right now. And, uh, you know, like you said, unfortunately, could have had a chance to give some of that back to Kansans, but a few senators decided to 
play games instead of actually help Kansans. And so here we are. But looking forward to a really successful 2024 legislative session where we're going we're gonna to go break into that hoard of cash and, and make sure that Kansans are getting their fair share of that $4 billion that we're dashing away. That's insane. Can you imagine that? Yeah, and I have no problem calling out the senators that voted against this as they uh, said they were working with uh, with us. I hope that Republican Party gets their ducks in a row uh, moving forward in this session because you're right. We were so close, and with Dennis Pyle, the guy who ran for governor just to try and sabotage Derek Schmidt, uh, that was a conservative who's always advocated for these issues, voted against this bill, and it just blew my mind on why we would fight something like this. But it sounds like people are all about trying to uh, be, wanting to be aware of this um, that are interested in this that are focused on this as an issue for them to want to fix because you guys really started your prosperity tour with like three stops and now it's turned into like seven or ten stops across the state with more coming up soon as well so people are wanting to hear this information oh absolutely people are loving it we're, we're running ads on on social media for folks letting them know when we're coming to town and as you said this started out as an idea with uh, the Senate President, Ty Masterson, and Speaker of the House, Dan Hawkins, to say, hey, let's get out there and maybe talk a little bit about what happened, and then more importantly, what's coming up, and how we're going to, how we're going to make sure Kansans are getting their fair share yeah. back into their own pocketbook. Um, and, and it just has grown and grown with such interest, as you said. Uh, you know, three stops originally, moving on up, continuing to look at if there's opportunity to, to do more throughout the year and, and really lead into a new year. Uh, with our Prosperity Express, uh, you know, train really leading the way there. And it's it's also great because we're going to places that I don't think people always expect us to. Yes, we're hitting Wichita. We're going to be in Overland Park later this month. Uh, we're going to be in Topeka in, in just a week. Um, next week, we'll be in Topeka. But we started this in Hayes, Kansas. Wow. We're going out to Pittsburgh, Kansas. We're going places that, quite frankly... Um, I think a lot of the folks who are voting against these bills would never even bother to go hear what those Kansans have to say. We're bringing leadership straight out to them. They're getting to have their voice heard, feel heard, and then you know know what's going on in the process and understand how they can be involved in that process as well to, to make sure that all the legislators know, regardless of party, this shouldn't be a partisan issue. Yeah, It's time to give Kansans back some of their hard-earned dollars when we are seeing energy prices skyrocketing, Gas prices skyrocketing, and Lord, don't even start talking about that grocery bill. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation there. I mean, when the Biden administration jacks up inflation on food anywhere between 15 to 30 percent with another potential 15 percent uh, that could be going up on food alone after their expansion of the SNAP program they're trying to ram through on this new farm bill. We can talk about that in just a minute, but that's disastrous for people that are just trying to live paycheck to paycheck right now. And like you said, we're, you guys, I mean, being the largest grassroots campaign in the country, uh, with this organization and starting off, it's it's the own grassroots town hall that people are wanting to hear because I don't think a lot of people recognize or realize or knew that the, that the state of Kansas is sitting on a $4 billion surplus right now. When Governor Sam Brownback left office, he had put the billion-dollar safety net, which we're all about having a safety net for the state of Kansas. Totally get that for when we have a uh, you know an economic crash or some type of slowdown or whatever may happen in the future. But a billion dollars, I think, is relatively reasonable. $4 billion means, hey, maybe we're bringing in a little bit too much and we can start giving it back to the people to allow more economic growth. When I have more money in my pocket, I can more sp- I can spend that money on more goods, which 
wild concept. Now you're getting more sales tax revenue coming in, and then everybody lives happily ever after. And yet, for some reason, some people don't grasp that concept. Not at all. What really blows my mind on this, and, and something I, I can't help but be fixated on, uh, yes, we have these folks that are you know, claiming to be conservative champions of the people. I'm not going to beat that into the ground because the facts are the facts, and their record speaks for itself. I don't need to tell you that they're playing games or that they voted for the bill three times, and then on the time that it mattered most to make sure Kansas got their money back, <laughs> they voted no because they thought it was funny. That's on live video. That's there. The record speaks for itself. I'm not going to hammer that. What also blows my mind, though, is the folks on the other side of the partisan aisle, the folks that you know, Governor Kelly is championing on her party, that love to spend all this time talking about you know, taking other people's money that have a lot of money and, and redistributing it out as they see fit, yet they have an opportunity to give people back their money and said, not only are we going to double down on our tax and spend policies, but we are going to tax you again to have $4 billion yeah. that we can just sit on and say, yay, this is my money now. <laughs> it blows my mind. They're going against their own concepts all the time which I guess shouldn't surprise us and is why we're out there talking to Kansans and making sure that they know what's going on, but most importantly, that they can go to like fairsharekansas.com where they can see how much of that $4 billion is there, but also they can contact their legislators regardless of who that legislator is and party affiliation and let them know where they stand on the issue and that they probably want a little bit more money back in their pocketbook instead of Kansas coffers. Yeah, I'm into that. We're talking with John Luth, Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org. Also, the website, fairsharecandice.com. You can go and see where your tax money is going and how much you're actually paying with your fair share. Let's talk about Governor Kelly for just a second. I remember when she was running for re-election, she said that she was, well, she ran it when she ran for office the first time, saying that she was going to cancel the sales tax on food. Then she gets into office and she says, well, we're coming out of the, or the Brownback administration, and things are a little shaky. We need to let the quote-unquote dust settle and the economy to stabilize before we actually do that to know where we're at. Never did it. Then she runs for re-election and says we're going to cancel the sales tax on food again. And she's out there doing the X the tax and chasing people down with a hatchet in grocery stores, which I'm not quite sure how that campaign tactic seemed to work very well, but said she was going to do this. Then she gets into office again and says the same thing. Sorry, we can't do it right now because of reason X, Y, and Z. All these administrative programs and agencies and departments are on skin and bones, and we don't have the funds to do this, and yada, yada, yada. And it took the Republican legislature to finally ram it down her throat, even while she vetoed something like that. John, I don't understand this because she told us she was the middle-of-the-road governor, that she didn't hold the party politics, and that she was going to work with both sides of the aisle. But yet, why did it take her so long to actually go for it and then fight against sales tax on food? Just something basic where we're only one of six states in the nation that actually does that. Well, you know, I think, again, it's one of those things where in this, in this game of politics, people can say a lot of things. But at the end of the day, the record speaks for themselves. And Governor Kelly's record is one of an extremist who wants to find ways to continue to double down on bad policies, grow government, and put Kansans further and further behind. And, and we just can't have it anymore. And, and I think Dan Hawkins, Speaker of the House, said it so perfectly during one of our tour events when someone brought up Governor Kelly's Ask the Tax campaign. And he goes, you know, the only uh, tax that I saw Governor Kelly ask recently 
ultimately was your tax cut. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's what she does. She's not helping Kansans with this. And it, it, it's so sad to see that, you know, a bill that also passed once with bipartisan support yeah. suddenly becomes a partisan political gamesmanship um, and actually passed multiple times with bipartisan support. That shows when, when folks on the other side of the aisle started to say, hey, I think this makes some sense. She locked it down and tried to get that party in line. And, and again, here we are uh, without being able to have, have that tax cut in place, which would have cut those food sales taxes even faster. Also would have fixed a dire need for Kansas senior citizens with uh, the social, secu- social security cliff fix. Man, say that five times fast. Uh, and that's now gone. So you have this time where you're looking at a governor and some senators who are really securing their retirement and jeopardizing everyday Kansans' retirement, and it's just disheartening. It is very disheartening. Let's take a break real quick. We're talking about John Luth, Americans for Prosperity, here for the state of Kansas. When we come back, I want to shift gears a little bit and bring it down to this local front. We were just talking about the mayor's race. You guys have been really involved in the mayor's race here in Wichita, seeing the economic prosperity opportunity that we could see in Wichita And it's not quite happening right now. We'll talk about moving forward on how we can transition the current mayor out, maybe rent him his own dumpster to be able to go and clean out his office at the uh, city building in Wichita. We'll do some of that when we come back here with Americans for Prosperity right here on Kansas Talk on Wichita's Big Talker. KQAM, stay here. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes here as we wrap up hour number one. Crazy how this goes by way so fast. Welcome in 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Let's talk about some things going on here in the local Wichita area, which, by the way, we have our Raza Fest 2023 from our sister station, La Raza 102.5, going on here in just a little bit. And I believe Americans for Prosperity, you guys are involved with that as well. You'll be having a presence, have a table out there and go and check those guys out. Should be a lot of fun. But, John, let's talk about, for a second, the mayor's race here in Wichita with the last few minutes that we have. Obviously, we have uh, not the most conservative mayor in any way, shape, or form in the Wichita area where he was a former Democrat legislator and has tried to bring his ideological agenda to a local community. It's not quite working. You guys have been working hard with Lily Wu, actually. And I I got to admit, I'm feeling really confident the more I talk with her and I see where the mindset is for Wichitans about this race. I, I, we have to campaign like we're always behind, but I have a good feeling that we could see some changes happen here in a few months. You're exactly right. You never want to get too confident and, and rest on your laurels, certainly. But here's, here's why I feel so great about this. Besides the fact that in a nine-person runoff, Lily Wu, who is a political outsider and has not run for office, finishes first place. Yeah. Uh, that's a big sign. That's awesome to see. But when we're out there, we, we are out there with our, our team and a number of fantastic volunteers knocking doors, chatting with them about what they want in their next mayor. And so many folks are, an exact quote I got, to put it point, pointedly, from one of my volunteers was, you know, I've been doing campaigns for a lot of years. I've never had such positive reception to a candidate when I'm knocking on doors. Sure. So that's, that's where we're at. That's what we're hearing, hearing out on the ground. Uh, and I think Lily's doing a great job and, and will be a better mayor 
certainly for a, a better future here in a, in a great city we have here. Yeah, well, Wichita is like, you, I mean, we've talked about it so many times before, such an opportunity with new industry coming in, in a diversity of industry from the aviation stuff that we already have to some of the tech industry and security industry and some of the other labor industries and small businesses. We can really allow things to flourish and make, uh, make Wichita be on the map nationwide. We just have to let go of some of those uh, regulatory red tape, and uh, I think we can do that moving forward. John, we got just about 45 seconds left here, my friend, but talk about if people want more information on you guys and how to get involved with you as well if they want to help out in any way. How can they do so? Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere uh, as either ASP Kansas or Americans for Prosperity Kansas. And then, as always, you can find us on uh, – you can email us at info at ks at afphq.org. Or go to that fairsharekansas.com where we would love to work with you. And we have folks all over the state looking to get you engaged and bring you a lot of good times, a lot of fun. And, of course, a lot of great swag out there. So. Yeah, a lot of great swag. And, and real quickly, when's the next uh, Prosperity Tour bus going to be stopping across the state as well? Absolutely. So our next three stops, Thursday, September 21st in Topeka, Kansas. Then we're also going to have Monday, September 23rd over in Overland Park. Kansas, and then our, our last one is Tuesday, September 26th in Leavenworth, with potentially more to come. We'll see how it goes. Ooh, more to come. You guys are always rocking it. I love it. I'm so glad to be able to work with you guys on all the different radio programs and be able to try and promote this uh, prosperity tour and what we need to do to get our economy back on track, both at the local, statewide, and national levels. I absolutely love it. John Luth, Americans for Prosperity. Go and check those guys out. John, it's a pleasure, my friend. We'll get you back on again here real soon. Got to wrap up our number two right around the corner for Candace Talk, right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. Hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. 1480 on the AM dial. 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial here in the Wichita, Kansas area. Also, our friends out in Garden City, Kansas, 1240 KIUL. Great to have you with us along for the ride as well. 316-721-8255. talk on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. We want to hear from you. Bottom of this hour, you are not going to want to miss this interview. It is a fantastic guest as Richard Streiner joins us. He is author of his latest book on Dwight D. Eisenhower, the pride of the state of Kansas, former president Dwight D. Eisenhower. As he goes into the in-depth conversation, the in-depth look of what his behind-the-scenes life was like, the emotional state that he was in, and the internal struggles that he had going from a child in Abilene, Kansas, into World War II, and then into the presidency of the United States. And it's a fascinating conversation. Look forward to playing that one coming up at the bottom of the hour with Richard Striner. Until then, though, open line to you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you. We have some calls. I'll get to you in a second. But I, uh, for a second, let's put on the tinfoil hat for a second, can we? We enjoy these conversations. Does not mean that we endorse them or that we completely believe in them in any way, shape, or form. We have to make that clarification now. Because apparently if you say things, now people are like, oh, this is what Andy believes in. And that's not the case. So stop it. But, but, 
It does make you think. The things that make you go, hmm. Coming up this week, there is uh, later on this week, I want to say like Wednesday or Thursday, is National Cheeseburger Day. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. I love my cheeseburgers. I love my burgers altogether. And we can talk about great ways to make your own cheeseburgers. However, I want to, to, here's where the conspiracy kicks in. Because apparently, starting on Monday, on the 18th, all the way through the week, on the 23rd, 24th, whatever it may be, Wendy's will be doing one-cent cheeseburgers, and McDonald's will be doing 50-cent cheeseburgers. Sounds all harmless, right? Now, I ask you the question, and the reason I this is a conspiracy theory is because with the way the economy is going right now, with how expensive food is becoming, with how bad things are economically right now. I'm curious on how they're capable or prepared to do 50 cent or one cent cheeseburgers at these fast food joints. Now, we already know that they're not usually the best for you health-wise, but at the same time, you would think that uh, right now we're having a hard time just keeping the dollar menu at McDonald's, for example. But now they're going to be doing 50 cent cheeseburgers and they're going to be doing one cent burgers at Wendy's. There is a theory, and a uh, the conspiracy theory is today, is that the reason they were pushing this is, number one, it's not actually beef, which, I mean, it's fast food, so who knows what the hell's in it, what kind of chemicals and what kind of other stuff's in it. If you remember, uh, Taco Bell got in trouble a few years ago for, like, you know, their meat being less than actually 30% because it was, like, sawdust and weird stuff like that. So they've done that, and actually now they're one of the better ones, ironically, because they've really fixed that situation. But... What's actually in the meat if they're selling them for 50 cents at McDonald's or a penny at Wendy's for those couple of days? There is a rumor that they are putting the COVID-19 vaccines into these burgers. And then let's take it to another level here because they also there's here's another wild, weird conspiracy is that next week on the 23rd is the next doomsday. That is the next end-of-the-world doomsday prediction. The Armageddon will be happening on September 23rd, so get ready. We're all going to die probably that day. Who knows? And if so, let's do it, baby. I'm ready. I'm ready for the shenanigans to be over in the world. So I, whenever it happens, we're prepared and ready to rock and roll. But that's the next date for the potential end-of-the-world Armageddon uh, doomsday to happen. That's directly after the whole short burger, you know, 50-cent penny burgers at Wendy's and McDonald's. They people are now linking it as well too to a episode of The Simpsons because as you know The Simpsons have predicted like everything that's happened out there from 9/11 to the basketball player that died in the helicopter accident to Donald Trump running for president. Oh yeah, they predicted all that. If you've not heard that theory, we're more than welcome to dive into that one as well, and you can call me up and ask me about it. Very fascinating stuff. But apparently they ran an episode a few years ago, like the late 90s, early 2000s, when they ran this episode. Uh, And it was one of their Halloween episodes where they changed the burgers and did a burger special where they called it the Burger Squared. And it was cows that ate cows to be double meaty and then sold it to you. And then you ate it and then everybody turned into zombies. Now, here's where the fun conspiracy goes down the rabbit hole. And again, this is not an endorsement nor thinking this will actually happen. But this is an entertainment piece to make you ponder and wonder what the hell's going on in the world today. Because... You know, who knows? I'm open to anything in today's times. (laughs) We don't know what the hell's going on. But this is the same month where the federal government apparently has released their zombie apocalypse preparedness tactics from the CDC and guidelines on how to survive a zombie apocalypse. At the same time, they're releasing a new COVID-19 vaccine. 
for the new variant that gives you the sniffles and the runny nose and the sore throat, so you don't know whether you have the seasonal allergies or you're going to die from COVID. Not quite sure which one it is yet, so apparently you just need to go get your vaccine because of that one. And where the uh, the uh, apocalypse Armageddon is set to be at the end of next week, all at the time when they're selling penny burgers and 50-cent burgers at a time when inflation's so high that food prices are skyrocketing. Put it all together... The things that make you go, hmm. So I ask you the question at 316-721-8255. Is the end of the world next week and will you be partaking and whatever may be fed to us with those penny and 50 cent burgers from McDonald's and Wendy's for National Cheeseburger Day? That being said, let's go to the phone, shall we? Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Scott. Scott, what's going on, sir? Well, two things. Uh, one, uh, the... Uh authorities there who were chasing this escaped prisoner i think they were part of a plot that originally let the guy go so they could chase him around and of course in doing that they could test their uh a police authority to see what they could get away with and and then also make a few extra uh dollars there by uh overtime Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it wasn't very uh, hard for them to actually catch the guy. So they kind of knew where he was at. And okay. they just allowed him to stay out there a couple of weeks. And then they could do their little training exercise, if you will. I, I, they've done this in the past. And this is just another example of it. So you, so you, hold on, hold on, thing, hold on. Let's, I want to take it one step at a time so I don't lose track here. So you think that the, the release of the prisons, uh, the prisoners was actually intentional for a training exercise for the law enforcement? Sure. And then they were able to make a few extra dollars on the side as well. I mean, they, they've done it before. They've done it several times. I mean, so. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. I will say right now, though, with the shortage of law enforcement officers, I don't know that they need any extra overtime because they're working so much overtime already because they don't have enough staff. So I I, I wouldn't put it past. So I guess that could make sense. But uh, I, well, I the don't. Training, the training part of it is what they're trying to do. They're trying to. <laughs> Yeah. Get people used to seeing cops everywhere, and then you know they just going into places and sneaking around and that type of thing. Interesting now, theory. The second part, okay. Second part addressed something you said something about with the UFOs. Yes, uh, I've heard you mention that. Now, in 1950, the top scientist in the United States was interviewed by a Canadian, and he admitted that the United States have top top secret information on ufos that you know they they just not going to reveal what they know but they do know yes and it was in a documentary about the uh, apollo 1 through 11 and they said how the astronauts had seen and photographed uh ufos and that uh especially on the dark side of the moon and that they were not really going to talk about it. now a few of them talked about it and admitted that, yeah, you know, they know a lot more about this stuff than they want to let on. But sure. it's so top secret that they're never going to really admit it to the public. But there's enough people who know what's going on. And, of course, there's enough civilians who've seen stuff and even old art pictures to go back to, like, the 10th or 11th century show UFOs in it. So, I mean, you know, you just got to put your two nickels together and rub them. So, okay, so do you, do you believe in it? Do you think they're real? Well, I mean, you just have to look at the evidence. I mean, they can't yeah. uh, dispute evidence from the 11th century when nobody's supposed to be flying anything. 
and yet they're showing pictures of people in aircraft flying around. I'm telling you. I see, mean, I, see, I'm with you, Scott. Here's the thing. I think the vast majority of people, even if they don't want to admit it to themselves because it may challenge maybe you know their philosophical belief about the world, about religious beliefs or whatever, I think that most people deep down realize that there is something out there and that we already know. We're just waiting for them to admit it. Uh, and the reason, okay, so for those that don't know that may not have listened to this or heard this, the reason we were talking about this, and yes, I was a guest on Armed American Radio, the national show, uh, earlier this week because uh, of the story that broke out of Mexico. Now, they don't know whether this is legitimate or not. It is being examined, so we're not saying it's real. But the Mexican government held a press conference on Monday or Tuesday night uh, from a ufologist that's down there and the University of Mexico who apparently has uh, 50 or 60 different ET bodies that they found in Peru that were preserved, that were buried in a cave, and that they uncovered back in 2017. According to the carbon dating, they say that these ETs are roughly 1,800 to 2,000 years old, and they were anywhere from 28 inches tall, so very small, to 5 foot 8. And they showed, and they actually displayed them to the congressional body of the government for Mexico during the press hearing and displayed some of them in a glass case for those to see. And it looked very strange. People are not sure because the guy that presented it, this ufologist, he's made false claims before. But the fact that it got to the level of government that it did and the government of Mexico saying that they want to be the first government in the world to acknowledge the existence of ETs. And the reason they did it was because the U.S. government is finally starting to talk about this as we're one of the more uh, sealed-lipped governments in the entire world. means that I think something's happening. Well, see, 1997, uh, in Arizona, they had triangle lights in the air over the city, and to this day, they never could explain that, but that was back in 97 yeah. in Arizona. It was on CNN News, and they were broadcasting it live. Yeah, we're finally starting to talk about it. I, and, Scott, I appreciate it. I'm going to take some more calls here, but you're right. I <laughs> I, I don't know. This, this Between the cheeseburger conspiracy and ETs, now we've turned into either Coast to Coast or Alex Jones. I'm not quite sure which one. But, hey, uh, it's a fascinating conversation to think about of things that are going on. I am a firm believer that something is happening. We're just waiting for the government to admit it to us. And I could be totally wrong, and that's okay as well. But you're right. I mean, there's been documentation. Heck, even if you interpret the Bible a certain way, you go back to the book of Ezekiel. Read the first chapter of Ezekiel. He's literally talking about this chariot of fire coming down from heaven, and it's all these lights that are flashing, and it's in a circular pattern, and it comes down with wheels, and it's rolling over the uh, or rolling over the ground after it lands. He's literally describing an ET. They just didn't know how to explain the UFO back then. Um, but if you interpret, I mean, interpret it how you want to, but kind of a fascinating interpretation of it for sure. Um, again, don't want to go down too crazy of a lane here, but it's it, it, something fun. Something interesting, and maybe it's tied in with the cheeseburger scandal coming up this week as well. <laughs> see? See what I did there? Let's go back to the phones. Line number two. Good morning. Who's this? Yeah, fight the power, man. Fight the power, man. Are you ready? Are you going to eat the cheeseburgers? Well, no. Uh, in fact, uh, did you say something about the end of the world was coming next week? Suppo- okay, so well, every year there's people that say the Armageddon end of the world you know, is going to come, and I don't necessarily believe them because there's so many of them that always say this. But the next, the rumor is, is that it's either September 23rd or October 4th. Those are the two dates that are floating around right now. So we have about a week to three weeks left before we all die. Well, I'm, uh, I'll be skipping that. On account of uh, I'm going to be throwing in, um, a backyard barbecue 
Okay. Uh, so it doesn't quite work with your schedule. You've got to reschedule that one. <laughs> yeah, for illegal aliens from outer space, and I'm, I'm going to be uh, growing up some uh, hamburgers. There you go. Well, it's you make the yeah. legitimate hamburger. So when they get here, they know what a real hamburger tastes like. They don't have to go to Wendy's and get the penny one where we're not quite sure what's in it. I mean, if food's going up 30% in inflation, how in the world can we sell what's usually a, uh, I don't know, $5 burger for a penny? Well, probably because they want I think they just want to. Well, that's a good question, but I think they just want to, uh, you know, it's competition. They want to get more customers. I mean, you know, the stuff is high as it is, and it's not worth the price. You know, you know, yeah, it's not healthy for you, but it, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I love my Wendy's. I love my fast food. I enjoy that stuff thoroughly, but it's just, I don't, it, it coincides with the doomsday prediction that we have um, kind of interesting. At the same time, the CDC released their zombie preparedness guideline after watching the episode of The Simpsons where they have their burger special and then everybody turns into zombies. So I don't know, just connecting dots here, my friend, just thinking out loud. <laughs> well, you know where the, uh, what the, uh, uh, who the zombies are, those are, uh, those are, uh, deceased liberal Democrats who, uh, climb out of their graves and, um, start engaging in cannibalism. You know, like that TV show, the walking dead. Yeah. Those are all Democrats. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. So, yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I don't quite know what the hell a, uh, uh, conservative libertarian is, but I'm sure going to be casting a vote for, uh, 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 Lily Wood—that's for sure. Yeah, you know, it is time for a change. Book. It's time for a change. Now, conser- I mean, most conservatives do have libertarian flavors to us because libertarians essentially just want limited government and individual freedoms. And some of them, they I think, take a little bit too far uh, to where it leads to the tempting of anarchy in society. But at the same time, I understand where they come from. So, conservative libertarians are on the same aisle. And my entire objective through all of my years on radio has been trying to win libertarians back over to the Republican Party. Because conservatives, conservatives, uh, I mean, the establishment Republicans ran the libertarians out of the party, and I understand why they're bitter and don't want to come back, but they're trying to do that to conservatives now as well, running us out of the party, which is why we see such a divide within the Republican Party. And if conservatives and libertarians united and put aside a few of the differences on maybe some social issues and some other things like that, we could actually push back out the establishment and take control of the party again and actually have some influence and some ability to actually get some things done. Well, yeah, but uh, see, my past encounters with uh, libertarians, particularly 13 years ago when I went back to college and had to deal with a few young libertarians, it's always the same story with these these jokers, you know, uh, legalizing drugs, illegal narcotics. And, I, you know, I want to hear that crap. So I just tell them, hey, you know, the, this is how it is. This is how it's meant to be. It's how it's always going to be. So, you know. Well, it wasn't it, how it always was. I mean, marijuana was legalized earlier in the country before they ended up le- uh, making it illegal. Yeah, so it wasn't well, always that it, way. Well, yeah, I know. I forgot about that it was legal uh clear back as early as the um or as far back as the uh, 1930s before you know it was uh i mean you could grow stuff out in your front yard i guess but yeah uh, which i mean and, and again we can talk about policy on that issue particularly you know, whether whatever drug that you're looking at, marijuana, for the example, uh, based on it's I mean, they go down to the just the basic, theolo- you know, philosophical conversation of 
where's the line drawn between government telling you what you can and cannot be allowed to do? And especially if it's grown on your private property, it's a natural thing. Then why should the government intervene and tell you you can't do that? On a philosophical level, I agree with that concept. Leave but me the hell alone and let me live my life. Did you say marijuana? I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I agree. But did did you say about something about marijuana growing legally? I mean, growing naturally or something on your property? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a natural plant. Yeah, but it doesn't grow all over the damn place like uh, trees do. Listen, I got I got to uh, in, engage in the conspicuous consumption of copious amounts of mass quantities of adult beverages. Mm. So, well, see, there it is. That's a natural thing, kind of, sort of, as well, with some hops in there. So, you enjoy those, my friend. And uh, if you get a chance, head down to Rouse Fest in the downtown area. Go, uh, go eat some tacos and enjoy some great music. I'll be going down there shortly as well. Got to take a break, my friend. I appreciate the phone call very much, as always. Um, yeah, that conversation kind of got off the rails a little bit with ETs and cheeseburger scandals and whatnot, but nonetheless, a f- entertaining conversation. Uh, at all. It's a uh, free country, man. Go enjoy those cheeseburgers as much as you want. I think I'll make my own to make them juicy and beautiful. Put a few jalapenos on there. Some other goodies. It'd be a good time. Lots more coming up on Candace Talk on KQAM. Stay here. Welcome back into it. Hey, I want to tell you about my friends over at Napoleon Appliance Repair. Those guys were voted best of in 2022 from the uh, Wichita Eagle for best in appliance repair for the entire city of Wichita. These guys are amazing. We love working with them here on KQAM and on Kansas Talk here on the program. Mike and Mike, those guys have years of experience. And we're getting into fall. We're getting the holiday season, which means as you have your friends and family over, as you have the family get-togethers and you're trying to cook all the foods and bake the cookies and cook the turkey and do everything else, then you want to make sure that your appliances are actually working. I told this story before of our uh, we had our family get-together a few years back, I don't know, five, six, seven years back, and uh, for Thanksgiving, put the turkey in the oven and then like two hours later, we went to go check things and the oven wasn't even on. It just died on us. And that was a disaster. So don't let that happen to you. Go and check them out. Napoleon Appliance Repair, 316-409-1525, 316-409-1525. You can also follow them on their Facebook page at Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. Make sure to follow them if you have that issue. Do the preventative maintenance. Make sure to do a fine-tuning of your appliances. Make sure things don't break, whether it's the good old reliable stuff or the new technology that uh, is the smart fridge that kind of wakes me out a little bit. Regardless of what you have, they can help you out with any of your appliances. It's Mike and Mike over at Napoleon Appliance Repair, 316-409-1525. We appreciate them very much here on the show. Love those guys. That's we'll get them on the show again. Probably to talk about going into holiday season here soon. All right, when we come back, around the corner, Richard Striner. He'll join us to talk about Dwight D. Eisenhower and his latest book. It's a fascinating conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. It's Candace Talk right here on KQAM. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Pleasure to have you along for the ride today. As usual, really happy to have our next guest on the program. And as you know, we have a long history here in the state of Kansas of one of our former presidents of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who also a member of the military as well. Great influential member of history for the United States as a whole and something that Kansas is always proud to hail as well. So to talk about some of that, the history and what he was like and the stories that he had to go through in battle day in and day out. He is author of the book Ike in Love and War, How Dwight D. Eisenhower Sacrificed Himself to Keep the Peace. Excited to have on here Richard Striner. Richard, how are you, my friend? 
Just great. Always happy to talk about Ike. Yeah, he is definitely a member of history that will go down in history for the United States. And uh, as I said, for here in the state of Kansas, but what a life that he led from the military all the way up to president of the United States. Yeah, absolutely extraordinary. Not least of all, because here you have a career soldier who became president and then gave the United States eight years of uninterrupted peace. Uh, that is uh, quite an achievement, and in my opinion, not an accident. Uh, the sources of that achievement go uh, way back into his childhood in Abilene. Yeah, let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's talk about his upbringing that led him into the military. And I love the military background of it because, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but he's probably one of the last presidents that actually was in the actual military before he ended up getting the five stars for the presidency of the United States, because now we just see politicians. But back then, it was the strength through military ideas that led him to become a leader. Well, there was, of course, a long tradition of military heroes becoming president, starting with George Washington. Yeah. Um, yes, Ike was the last. Uh, in 2000, General Colin Powell considered a run for the Republican nomination, but decided against it. Anyway, uh, yes, Ike's childhood in Abilene um, was uh, the formative period, as childhood usually is. Um, his parents, David and Ida Eisenhower, were both members of a uh, German Protestant sect called the River Brethren, an offshoot of the Mennonites. The Eisenhower family came to Kansas from Pennsylvania. Both David and Ida Eisenhower were uh, devout pacifists. Uh, and, and here you have their son becoming a great military hero. The personalities of his parents were in many ways diametrically opposite. Um, Ike's father, David Eisenhower, was uh, a moody, taciturn man. Uh, unhappily, he failed at most of the things he tried to do. He had a terrible problem with a terrible temper. Ike inherited that. Uh, not an easy father to love, though Ike did try. His mother, on the other hand, Ida, uh, was the dominant parent, and, and Ike worshipped her. Uh, she was, he wrote in old age, the finest person I ever met. Uh, well, this situation, uh, this relationship between child and parents, led Ike uh, to look around for other father figures uh, in Abilene, and he found uh, a long series. Um, he worshipped his mother, he worshipped her ideals, uh, but he didn't want to be a mama's boy, so he found some tough guys, you know, in the town who taught him rugged, manly arts, camping out, cooking over a campfire, playing poker, and shooting guns, uh, target practice. Uh, one of the guys who uh, taught him uh, the fine art of uh, shooting guns was a man who claimed to have been a deputy to Wild Bill Hickok. Uh, Ike was born in 1890, uh, 20 years before his birth, Abilene, as many Kansans know, uh, no doubt was the epicenter of the early Wild West. It was a very, very violent town, and only the actions of lawmen like Hickok uh, made Abilene a place for decent people like the Eisenhowers to live. Uh, so here you have Ike learning the fighting arts. Uh, he also developed an interest in ancient military history at a very early age, and then later on, off he goes to West Point. How does he reconcile this career as a fighter um, with the ideals, the pacifist ideals of the mother he adores? Well, uh, in my opinion, 
the template was offered by the Abilene lawman. Ike uh, reached a compromise. He would learn the fighting arts, but then use those fighting arts to deliver his mother's fondest wish, peace. He would become a guardian of peace, a protector, you see. And there you have uh, a sketch of, of his future as president. I love that. I love that story. And we hear that throughout history so much, don't we? I mean, the, the, the fighter that realizes that we need peace through strength, which is exactly what Eisenhower ended up promoting, was we have the strength to fight, but we don't always need to do so. And that's what led to so many years of peace thereafter. Talk oh, about yeah. so it, you, can, you compare Ike to his uh, his buddy, George Patton. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Blood and guts. Uh, you know, Patton was a, a military genius. He was a great general, yeah. colorful character, uh, but something of a warmonger. There's just no question about it. Exactly. Uh, Ike never was. Uh, but you were about to ask me another question. Well, no, that's okay. I mean, the, the experience that he had once he went off into war, I mean, uh, talk about how long he was in there and what uh, what exactly he experienced while he was actually overseas and in conflict before that led him to become the diplomat. Well, he uh, um, missed out on combat in World War I. Uh, the War Department assigned him the duty of preparing troops to fight. Uh, he was a trainer, a logistician. Uh, he set up a training camp on the old Gettysburg battlefield before the National Park Service acquired it. Uh, camp Colt, it was called, training troops uh, in the fine new art of tank warfare. But Ike missed out on overseas combat, and this was a great disappointment to him, not because he was a warmonger, but because he wanted to use the military arts in which he had been trained uh, to lead troops in battle. Anyway, uh, he had a long series of, of other mentors uh, in the military, a brilliant general named Fox Connor, uh, a troublesome figure indeed, Douglas MacArthur, uh, George Catlett Marshall. Uh, Ike distinguished himself as a brilliant planner and staff officer. Uh, and so when uh, in the month after Pearl Harbor, uh, he, uh, when uh, the new Army Chief of Staff, George Marshall, was, was putting together the high command that would be needed uh, Eisenhower's name uh, came through several channels to his attention, so Marshall summoned Ike to Washington um, and before long put him in charge of the War Plans Division and, and then, you know, uh, his talents, um, not just his military talents, but his innate political genius, which is something that Franklin Roosevelt and Marshall needed badly during World War II to maintain uh, a viable coalition. Uh, particularly with the British, uh, since uh, before long the American and British high commands developed very different ideas about wartime priorities, and, and they needed a man who was uh, diplomatic, who could finesse such things, and, and so on. That was one of the major reasons why Roosevelt uh, put Eisenhower in command of Operation Overlord, which led to D-Day. Very fascinating. We're talking with Richard Schreiner, author of the book Ike in Love and War, How Dwight D. Eisenhower Sacrificed Himself to Keep the Peace. You can find more information online as well at richardstreiner.com. After the war, talk about the transition for Ike moving from the military, moving from experience and overseas to becoming a diplomat. Where did that opportunity even come from? Well, uh, Ike succeeded George Marshall as Army Chief of Staff. 
uh, he was, in fact, at that point at loose ends as, as to how he should uh, spend the rest of his life. He was recruited into academia, um, uh, recruited to be president of Columbia University. But in the years between his uh, military and presidential careers, he was not a happy man. Um, he was a very angry man, a frustrated man. Now, why? Well, this leads to one of the other major themes of my book, Ike's emotional development. Uh, I believe that my book sheds more light on that uh, than other Eisenhower biographies, because in my view, uh, and it is uh, no doubt uh, a view that uh, some people will find convincing and others not, because it hinges around uh, some of the controversies concerning his romantic life. Uh, hence the title, Ike in Love and War. Part of my book tells uh, a tale of uh, tragic love. Um, the Eisenhower marriage, the marriage of Ike and Mamie, um, was uh, a marriage that was full of tensions, uh, various kinds, uh, really quite tragic. They, they lost their first child, a cute little boy who died at age three in 1920 of scarlet fever. Uh, often shared sorrow brings uh, grieving couples closer together, but according to Eisenhower descendants, Ike and Mamie retreated into their own private worlds of sorrow. Eisenhower wrote in old age that he never really got over the little boy's death, the, the greatest disaster of his life, he said. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Ike and Mamie uh, created uh, happy times for themselves in the late 1920s, um, but in between the death of, of the child uh, and uh, the good times they had in Washington, D.C. and Paris, Ike was sent to the Panama Canal Zone, and Mamie accompanied her, and she had a horrific time. Uh, the living quarters they were given were, were uh, primitive, um, pestilential, a rickety old house on stilts infested with bats and mildew and God knows what. Uh, for Ike, this was just another experience of roughing it, you know, uh, something he got to like as a kid. <laughs> Uh, at least like as a challenge, Mamie was in absolute purgatory, and according to a number of accounts, she was considering a divorce. Wow. Uh, she didn't do it. But then in the 30s, when Ike was uh, sent to the Philippines serving there under MacArthur, Mamie refused to come. She didn't want another hellish experience in the tropics. Eventually she did come, uh, but when she first refused, Ike felt betrayed, and he was the one to consider a divorce, you see. Um, now, before Ike even met Mamie, he had been ardently in love with uh, a high school crush, a girl in Abilene named Gladys Harding, uh, a, a very poignant, very sad story indeed. As soon as he got from West Point, uh, got back from West Point in the summer of 1915, he courted Gladys Harding, uh, proposed to her. Uh, she uh, said that she loved him, but she needed to make up her mind about his proposal because she wasn't sure that she could uh, live the life of an army wife, particularly since she was a very serious musician. Um, she was looking toward a career in music. She was a pianist. She was about to leave on a concert tour. And so she told him, I need time to sort out my feelings. Meanwhile, Ike is sent down to Fort Sam Houston uh, in uh uh, Texas. Um, and uh, he is in agony. Uh, he is not getting an answer to his proposal. His love letters to Gladys, which survive, 
show how miserable he was, and then he meets this cute, effervescent young lady, Mamie Dowd. Uh, one thing leads to another. Uh, they dated, they had fun. He proposes to her on Valentine's Day in 1916, and she accepts. How could he have known that Gladys had meanwhile decided to give it all up for him? Oh. And when she found out that he was engaged to someone else, she was so heartbroken that she impulsively and willfully accepted a proposal from a guy she really didn't like very much, and according to many accounts, the marriage was absolutely loveless. Um, but Ike had these memories, uh, you know, of the ardent passion he had for Gladys. Uh, and in World War II, he met another woman who apparently set him aflame the way Gladys had done. You know who I'm talking about, uh, Kay Summersby the former fashion model, Anglo-Irish young lady who became Ike's driver, and then Girl Friday, all-purpose assistant to World War II. And for years, uh, there has been this controversy over whether or not they had an affair during World War II. Um, I, I, you probably don't have time for me to, to give a long account of both sides of that story, but the short of it is, uh, after considering all the evidence, a lot of it admittedly circumstantial, uh, I am convinced that they were deeply in love at the end of World War II, and that I gave her up, uh, and that he was in agony again uh, in the late 1940s uh, over having made that decision. Um, she wrote a tell-all memoir in the 70s in which she said that Ike was the love of her life, and uh, I'm convinced that uh, the feelings were uh, mutual, uh, a very tragic story. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, he gave her up uh, is that uh, to fulfill his, the destiny, you know, that dawned upon him in childhood, a fighter who could, could guarantee peace. He'd proven his skill as a fighter. He was the greatest American war hero of World War II, but to go on and use those fighting arts to give the world peace, you know, he would have to say yes to the presidential kingmakers. He would have to run for the presidency. Well, to uh, get a divorce uh, in those days uh, made you uh, dead on arrival at the political conventions. No, you know, divorced man had ever been elected president. As late as 1964, the presidential ambitions of Nelson Rockefeller were thwarted because he was divorced. It was finally Ronald Reagan who broke that taboo in 1980. Yeah. But I had to make an all-or-nothing decision, you see. Uh, he made it. Uh, and it was, was uh, uh, absolutely... Um, well, it was a ghastly sacrifice. Uh, he was a tormented man. But he went on to his presidential destiny. He had to be forced, you know. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> By <long series> presidential <laughs> kingmakers, he had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, to, to a job that he was perfect for, you know. He would have the time of his life in the White House. Why did he have to be dragged, kicking and screaming? Well, uh, you know my, my hunch as, as to the emotions behind that. Uh, anyway, uh, he was a remarkable president. We can talk about that for a few minutes if you like. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's what an amazing story, and I, I'm so glad that you go into the emotional side of this history about Eisenhower because it's not something that we hear a lot about other than the, of course, scandalous stories that we hear. But, it's I mean, it sounds like he was a pure, quote-unquote, romantic, where he wanted to lead. He knew what his duty was, what his purpose was to be here. At the same time, he it, it, he would have to sacrifice his romantic life and who he actually went for uh, yeah, I to, to, think, for I him. Think, uh, romantic uh, romance and love 
uh, are are the the key words, the key concepts. I mean, if people want to think of it as a purported sex scandal, uh, you know, there's no way to stop them. But I think it was it was something far more profound, far more tragic. Yeah. I think it was a tale of tragic love. But on to his uh, presidency. Uh, he uh, was a remarkable president for a whole series of reasons. Uh, the American people were deeply divided in 1952 when he was elected president, deeply divided in ways that are in some respect comparable to what America is suffering from now. Ike made it his mission to try to bring about an age of good feelings, to try to unify and unite the American people, and he succeeded to an extraordinary uh, extent. Uh, he calmed the nation down. Um, he maintained this this relaxed, you know, demeanor in public, uh, whereas way down deep, he was a very tense man with a very short temper. Uh, he kept that totally hidden. Uh, he revealed later on that if you worked for him in the White House, you knew that one of your duties was to be summoned at very short notice into the Oval Office. And you knew what to expect. You would stand in silence as he cursed a blue streak and then leave. <laughs> Thank you later. Uh, the hidden hand presidency was what a political scientist named Fred Greenstein called it in the 1980s, because Ike um, <clears throat> maintained this outward facade of relaxation and calm. But behind the scenes, he was busy creating these these brilliant visionary programs like space-based reconnaissance. I mean, there's a perfect example. Uh, it would uh, it would be only be decades later when when the classified history of of that effort uh, could be written by historians. Um, but uh, Ike was the one who who made it happen. Yeah. Um, on the civil rights front, he he quietly, very quietly, packed the courts with integrationists. You know, to to uh, without making a big fuss over it in public. You see. Um, he didn't want to inflame white racists. He didn't want racial violence, but he did want progress and civil rights. I could give many examples of the things of that sort he did. He was a brilliant president, brilliant. Yeah, he was an incredible guy, and like you said, it was it was tactful, and I think that comes from the military experience that he had. It wasn't the uh, what we see today where everything is big breaking news and it just causes division and segregation in the nation, but it was actually tactful on how he did this which was more productive and I think uh, more successful than what we see in a lot of politics well, today. It, it certainly was, and, and it certainly does provide what could be an inspiration if people are wise enough to view it that way. I mean, America could use that kind of leadership, the leadership that Ike provided yeah. right now and in our immediate future. And it's my hope that by bringing more attention to the the kind of politics that, that Ike succeeded in creating, uh, Americans might find his legacy useful now. Amen to that. Last question for you, Richard, before we let you go, and I appreciate all your time. I could talk to you about this for hours. I absolutely love hearing about history and some of these great leaders. But on the scale of all the presidents that we've seen in this nation, where do you think he lands? Very, very, very high up. Uh, in, in many respects, you know, since uh, people and leaders are uh, unique. Uh, you know, it's uh, always an uh, apples to oranges comparison in some respects. So that I, yeah. I tend to resist the, the rating game, you know, superlative first, second, third rankings. I am a Lincoln scholar. I do, in my own opinion, Lincoln was in a class by himself. Sure. Absolutely superb. But uh, under him, oh, Eisenhower rates very, very high. 
very high indeed. I have tremendous respect for uh, Ike's presidential achievement. Well, and it's fantastic to be able to see him represent so well here in the state of Kansas and Kansas holding up that legacy so well. The book is Ike in Love and War, How Dwight D. Eisenhower Sacrificed Himself to Keep the Peace. You can find it online at richardstriner.com, also on Amazon and other places as well. Richard, thank you so much for the time, my friend. We'd love to chat with you again here soon. Well, thank you. I would love to. It's been a pleasure.